Well, good morning, Journey family. So good to be with you to finish off our series on neighboring. We live in a divided time. Our world feels more divided than I can ever remember. And so this morning, here's what I want to engage with together today. I want to engage with this idea that we are called to respond well to a world divided by differences. We are called this week as a church to respond well to a world divided by differences. This is how I wanna start this morning. I wanna ask you a question, just be honest with me. Which of your neighbors is different than you? Okay, this is like the nice way of saying like somebody's weird, okay? Let's be honest. Like, hey, we got these neighbors, they're a little bit different, right? You know what I mean? Okay, which of your neighbors is different than you? I think somebody probably comes to mind right away for you and maybe you come to mind for someone right away as well. Here's what I've observed lately. We're different, I don't think this is a bad thing. I actually think we live in a world that doesn't like the idea of differences, but I think the reality is we're different. I'm different than you. You're different than me. Your neighbors are different than one another. Your age, your background, your styles, your, um, which signs you have in your front yard this week, like we're different, right? And so the question this morning is how do we engage with people that are different than us. Some of you would say, I live with someone who's different than me, right? So how do we live with people that are different than us? How do we love people who are different than us? I wanna look at a different group of people, a different group of neighbors. I wanna begin this morning by looking at the disciples, a different group of neighbors, the disciples. I'll be in Luke chapter six, just a a few short passages, 12 through 16. Listen to this. One of those days, Jesus went on a mountainside to pray early in in his ministry, and he spent the entire night praying to God. And when morning came, he called his disciples to him, and he chose 12 of them whom he also designated apostles or sent ones. Simon, who he later named Peter, his brother Andrew, James and John, Philip, Bartholomew, uh, be honest with me, how many of you knew that one of the 12 was named Bart? Okay, a few, okay. Are you like, what? I thought Homer Simpson. Okay, all right. Bart, Bartholomew, Matthew, another Matthew, Thomas, James, son of Alphaeus, two Jameses. Simon, another Simon, who was called the Zealot. Judas, son of James, and Judas Iscariot, two Judases. You don't want to get mixed up with which one was who, okay? Like, I'm not that one, okay? That's what the other guy kept saying for the rest of his life, all right? Here's what's really interesting about that group of, of men. They were very Different. Now, you might be familiar with a couple of them. You might be familiar, if you're church-going people, with the ones that are fishermen, right? You go like, oh, I know that story about Peter and Andrew, how they got out of their boat and how they followed after Jesus. They were dirty, nasty fishermen. Yes, that's true, right? 
They were not the A team. They were the B squad. I'm gonna tell you that right now. They weren't varsity, they were JV. How do we know that? Well, they weren't following a rabbi at the time. So they hadn't been picked to be of the highest caliber. No rabbi had come to them and say, hey, follow after me. No, no rabbi had wanted them to follow after them. They were just working on dad's boats because they weren't the highest level of leader. And yet Jesus comes and he calls them these dirty, smelly fishermen. He says, hey, you come and follow me. That seems a little different, doesn't it? It gets better. So then he calls a guy named Matthew, who is also called Levi. And Matthew has a job called tax collector, okay? Some things have not changed since Bible times. Like if you're a tax collector, we don't like you that much. That's how it works, right? You're like, hey, if you, if you work for the IRS right here and somebody's like, hey, what do you do? You're like, no, I work in the government for some things. You don't tell us like you're getting our taxes and you're coming after us and we don't pay our taxes, right? Okay. Now what's more interesting about Matthew is that he was aligned with the Romans as a tax collector. He had sold out his people. To be a tax collector in that day was to be a sellout. It was to be somebody who supported the Roman government, who supported Rome, who was oppressing God's people, and he aligned with them to take their money. Matthew was not well-liked. I promise you that's why so many people got mad when Jesus calls Matthew, goes to his house, throws a bunch of par a party, and all the people say, hey, why does he hang out with sinners and tax collectors? Like, sinners are bad, and then they get a separate, like they say sinners, and then tax collectors, Okay. Like they got their own level of sin, all right? They get mad about that, but it even gets better than that because you've got somebody who's aligned with the Romans and then somebody named Simon the Zealot is in this passage. Now there was a group of zealots, Simon is one of them, and they were hell-bent on destroying the Roman government, that's what, they were, that's what they were zealous for. That's why he's called a zealot. He was part of a sect, a part of a small group of people who was saying, how can we overthrow the Romans? So when Jesus calls the smelly fishermen, okay? And then he calls the Roman tax collector, the guy who's aligned with Rome, and then Simon the zealot, and then that Judas guy who everybody knows something shady's going on with that dude, and he calls him up into the same room. You think these guys are like, oh, this is good. These people are just like me. No, I mean, I'm not kidding you. I'm not kidding you. This is like putting the most diehard Trump fan who's got a four-wheel drive, dually truck, blue flag, red MAGA hat, right? It's like putting him on a team. Yeah, okay, go some of you, right? Uh, play your cards, good job, okay. Some of you, and it's like putting him next to a Bernie Sanders fan who still thinks Bernie's gonna win this week, okay? It's like putting those two on the same team and saying, hey, go change the world. I'm, I'm, I'm joking, but I'm leaning. I'm leaning hard right now. Like, that's not actually that funny, is it? Like, our world is divided by these differences, and yet Jesus calls them together to change the world. To change the world. And I think he's called us to exactly the same thing. And here's how he wants to do it. He gives us a command, a neighboring command. It's simple, you know it. Love one another. Everybody say it, whether you're online or inside, okay? 
Love one another. Say it one more time like you actually mean it. Love one another. Even if I'm a Trump fan and uh, my next door neighbor's a Biden fan, love one another. Even if I'm gonna vote for Biden, but my neighbor is a Trump fan, love one another. Even if I don't care about any of this, I'm just glad it's over this week. Love one another, okay? Love one another. Even if I look different, yeah, love one another. Even if I'm different age, different generation, yeah, love one another. Even if we don't see eye to eye on anything, yeah, love one another. It's not a suggestion. It's not like Jesus saying, hey, this is, here's a really good idea for you, church. Here's a really good idea for you, disciples. I want you to go change the world and maybe love one another. He says, love one another. This is the command. Here's where I want to be. John 15, nine through 17 this morning. Don't tune out on me, stay with me, okay? As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you, Jesus says to his disciples. Now remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love. Just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love, I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that you, your joy may be complete. Here it is, my command is this. Love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, to lay down his life for one's friends. And you are my friends. If you do what I command, I no longer call you servants because a servant doesn't know his master's business. Instead, I call you friends. For everything that I've learned from my father, I've made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and I appointed you that you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. And so that whatever you ask in my name, the Father will give to you. This is my command. Love one another. With our time together, I wanna talk about five keys. Five keys to loving our different neighbors. Five keys that I think can help us respond this week. Not react in this week, but respond in this week to a world that is divided by differences. Number one, we need to love like Jesus. We need to love like Jesus. Jesus says it this way to them. My command is this. Love each other as I have loved you. Love each other. How? As I have loved you. You, this is where we need to start. This is why it's point number one. It's why it's point number one in our church. We are led to radical love in action like Jesus. It's not a tagline. We do everything like Jesus. We follow Jesus. We take our cues from Jesus. It's Jesus that we proclaim. It's Jesus that we sing about. It's Jesus that we preach about. It's Jesus whose name we lift high. That's who we follow. It's point number one. We need to love like Jesus. It's where we start. And this is a strange phrase in our day and age. I promise you this. Because uh, there's people uh, that will say, yeah, 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 I'm gonna love, but they will leave off the last two words, love like Jesus. And this is what they'll say. They'll say things like this. Well, doesn't the Bible say that God is love? Yeah, it does. You know what it doesn't say? Love is God. It doesn't say love is God. It says God 
is love. We need to love like Jesus. And I think we have some confusion around us in this world. I think in our own hearts, we might have some confusion about this. Because if you want to know about love, if you want to understand what love actually is, you've got to first understand Jesus. And we live in a world that wants to promote something. It wants to promote the idea that we learn about God by learning about love first. And that is not how the Bible teaches us. The Bible teaches us if we want to know what love actually is, that we need to know who God is first. You need to start with the right thing first or you can get it all messed up. What we do is we live in a world that says, I want to take the, my definition of love and then I want to shove God into that box. And that is not the picture that Jesus paints. He says, look at me and then you will see love. And this is why that's harder. Because Jesus is always loving and you're like, yeah, but sometimes he seems more loving than others. No, no, no. He's loving all the time, right? So Jesus has this interaction with Peter where Peter is denying what Jesus is about to do, go to the cross and die for the sins of the world. And Jesus, with love in his eyes, says, get behind me, Satan. He confronts him with love, right? Sometimes how we def define love is, love is just yes, that's no confrontation involved in love. No, 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 no. Jesus confronts, he challenges, he pushes his disciples. He says, I'm gonna push you to greater things. I'm gonna hold you certain standards. That's what love really is. It's the same love that's in Jesus' eyes when he interacts with Peter in that kind of harsh way as the same love that he has when he looks at the woman caught in adultery and says, I don't condemn you either. Go and leave your life of Sin. See, I think we want to make Jesus like this happy, clappy, like Mr. Rogers, who we started out with in the beginning of this series, right? Ain't nobody going to crucify Mr. Rogers. Do you understand that? Mr. Rogers isn't love. Jesus is love. And if you want to love people like Jesus would want you to love People, if you want to love people in a transformational way, we've got to love people like Jesus. If you don't know Jesus, you're not gonna know love. Like, like one of the things I've been challenged by and I wanna challenge us in is this. I really wish some of us would lovingly study about Jesus as much as we've been studying about the coronavirus uh, studying about Jesus just as much as we've been studying about the economy, studying about Jesus just as much as we've been studying about politics. Those aren't bad things, but they're not Jesus. We need to love like Jesus. And here's why it's really even harder. Number two, the primary way Jesus loves is by laying down his life. The primary way that Jesus loves is by laying down his life. Jesus continues to teach his disciples. He says this, greater love has no one than this than to lay down one's life for his friends. One of the primary ways that Jesus teaches us how to love is to lay down our own life. This is way harder than we pretend it is. This is way, way more difficult than the world would propose how to love. Jesus would say we would lay down our life. He, he has this sermon 
early in his ministry where he says things like this. If your enemy hits you on one cheek, turn the other cheek to him. If your enemy asks you to go one mile, don't go one mile, go two miles, go three miles. It's where we get the saying, go the extra mile. Jesus understands that love is greatest when we're giving our life away. Jesus knew that when he dies on a cross, he literally gives his life away. There is no greater love than that. How do we love? We lay down our lives for other people. I'm not advocating for us to get run over by abusive people, okay? I'm just trying to not get that email, okay? Right? I'm not advocating for that. But what I am saying is that we need to love in a sacrificial way, a way that considers the other before it considers our Selves. I hear this creeping into the church more and more every day and it just drives me crazy because it's not the gospel. We are called to love Jesus, then we're called to love others. Those are the two greatest commandments. And so Jesus says, hey, you wanna know how to love? You gotta lay down your lives. Let me give you a practical example. I mentioned this earlier. Some of you are living with the different neighbor, Right? Don't, put, don't nudge, no nudging policy here, okay? Okay, no nudging at home, okay. You're living with a different neighbor and you're trying to figure out how are we gonna make it through this season? Well, Jesus, uh, uh, Jesus teaches to lay down your life and Paul later teaches to husbands how husbands should love their wives. Paul says this to husbands. He says, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Oh man, that's tough. Husbands, husbands, are you dying to yourselves? Or are you more concerned about your needs? Do you sit around thinking of the needs of your spouse or do you sit around thinking about how your needs are not being met? One of those ways is the Jesus way of loving and one of those ways is not the Jesus way of loving. I'm telling you, I've done, I've done so many weddings and the way that I always wanna paint the picture is it's not like the airlines, okay? It's not like the airlines. In the airline, you get on the airplane, right? And they tell you, here's the exits, here's the doors, all this. And if something happens in the cabin pressure, there's going to be these things that drop down from your side and, and you should fasten your own before you fasten somebody else's. Jesus would say, that's wrong. It's wrong, it's wrong. Well, even if it kills you, yes. You fasten that life-saving device on the person next to you first. That's the way of Jesus. That's the way of love. If you wanna love like Jesus, you would say, even if it costs me my own life, yes. Listen, in some of your marriages, I'm gonna call you out right now. Some of your marriages, all you care about is your own needs being met and you wonder why your marriage is a mess. You need to care about the needs of the other more than the needs of yourself. Think about this. Husbands, think about this. If you took care of the needs of your wife, wouldn't it make it easier for her to take care of your needs? But when you don't take care of the needs of your wife, do you think it makes it easier or harder for her to love you and take care of your needs and to set her life down so that she can love you as well. See what I'm getting at? 
We are called to a radical love, a love that lays down our life. Number three, number three, we are called to be friendly. I'll stop yelling. <laughs> for a moment, I'll stop yelling for a moment. Okay. Jesus transitions here in the midst of this with some pretty heavy teachings to talking about friendship in the midst of this passage, right? What he does is he invites his disciples into being his friends. Like the question would be, are we, are we friendly with our difficult neighbors? Are we friendly with those who are different than us? Do we treat them with dignity? Do we treat them with value? Do we treat them with a sense of friendship or do we turn them into an enemy? Do we secretly think I could never be the friend of someone as different as that? Because being friendly, it means inviting someone into, into your life. That's exactly what Jesus does. He says to them this, you are my friends. You are my friends. How do we know that you're my friends? Oh, well, I don't keep things from you. I let you in on what is all going on. That's what Jesus does, is transformation. He says, you are my friends. He didn't keep them on the outside of what he was up to. He let them know exactly what he was into and he let them know exactly what mission that they were on. That's what it means to be a friend, right? Here's the thing. If you've ever like gone on a trip with somebody, like you've gone on a hiking or camping trip and maybe you didn't even like that person, but you went through some difficult things together, I can guarantee you at the end of the day, you have this connection, you have this bond because you went through something together. We see this most vividly on teams, right? You're on these teams and maybe growing up, you played basketball or you're on the debate team or you're on some sort of team, Right? And you went through something together and you have that shared experience of going through something together and you had to put aside some things so that you guys could get through some things together. That's what Jesus is inviting them into. Spent some time in Alaska and we had these big, huge army tents and we'd have youth groups come up with 40 kids living in one army tent, 40 kids living in the other army tent and we were just uh, clearing land and we were going on hikes and expeditions and I can tell you those kids were vastly different and vastly difficult, okay? But we navigated through each and every week together and some of the groups that we went through really, really hard things with, that was the tightest knit group by the end of the experience together. You know this to be true. The people that you've gone through something hard with, those are the people you wanna call when things are hard, right? Those are the people that you believe, hey, if I got through that with them, I can get through this with them. And that's what Jesus invites them into. What if, what if? What if we cared more about the mission of Jesus in this election? What if we cared more about the mission of Jesus than how this pandemic hits us? What if we cared more about the mission of Jesus than our economy? See, Jesus is talking to disciples who are living under Roman reign, the Romans are trying to kill them and the Pharisees are trying to trap them and they didn't change the mission because of it. They didn't. 
They didn't change the mission because if they banded together, they said, we're going to get through whatever is ahead of us because we're friends, because we're united, because we have a grander mission that isn't dependent on all of those secondary issues. Some of you have made secondary issues primary issues. I've seen it. And we need to stop making secondary issues primary issues. Secondary issues do matter. You should think hard about them. But the primary mission of Jesus is to change the hearts of every person toward him. Can I, can I just pose this? If we had the best policies in the world in this country, but we had no people with character, no people with morals, no people with hearts bent toward Jesus, do you think those policies would actually help us? And on the flip side, right? If we had the crummiest policies of all time, but we had people who were moral and had character and loved each other and cared for each other and did it like Jesus, do you think those policies would matter as much? No, they wouldn't. Because the mission of Jesus is greater and grander than this. He wants to transform your life and he wants to transform the hearts of every single person in the world. And that would change the world. That would change the world. So let's be friends. Let's get on mission together with Jesus. Number four, know that you belong. Oh, I like this part too. So Jesus is challenging them. He's encouraging them and he's giving them a sense of identity. Jesus wants to help them understand that they belong. He, he says this to them. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you. Do you remember back in the day when we used to play kickball and um, like those kind of things and, and, and like we used to play out on the playground and, and kids could actually do that back in the day. That was awesome. Anyway, uh, so um, <laughs> secondary issue, sorry. Okay, <laughs> so um, we used to do this thing where you would pick teams, right? Do you remember this? So maybe everybody would go stand up against the fence. There'd be two captains and the captains would choose and choose and choose. And if you were like one of the first people chosen, it was like this great honor. But man, if you were that kid that was standing there and everybody else got chosen, you were like, wah, wah, you know, like Charlie Brown, right? And, and there's something about being chosen, okay? Here's, here's a more modern day parallel, okay? For some of y'all, um, some of you dudes, I'm gonna talk to dudes, okay? Hey, so, so I don't know if you're on Tinder or whatever or how that all works, Thank God I'm not part of that anymore. Um, but, uh, but like, so like, 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 I don't know how it works, but they got to swipe a certain way. You got your profile and you're like, hey, I'm fun. And I like long walks in the mountains. And, you know, I can, I can feed you with elk in the winter. Good job. All right. So then they're like, I'll swipe right. Is it right or left? Does anybody know? I don't know. Anyway, they, they, they swipe a certain way and, and they choose you. And they choose you. There's, see, there's something still about being chosen. There's something still about belonging. There's this deep identity conversation that Jesus is, is putting into the middle of this conversation about, about love. Rejection is still one of the most harmful human experiences in the world. Great deep trauma happens from rejection. But life springs, love springs out of belonging and acceptance. Jesus says, I've chosen you. 
And not just chosen, but I've appointed you. Like, like not just I picked you on my team, but you're the captain of the team. Not like, not like I just swiped to the direction to choose you, but I actually wanted to go on a date with you and maybe a second date with you. And maybe someday when you get down on a knee and you, um, you hold up a ring to me, I say yes to you, okay? Like Jesus wants to say, that's who you are. That's what you live out of. That he chose you before the foundations of the world. Like, let that blow your mind for a moment. And then try to be mad at your neighbor, right? Like, try to be mad at your difficult neighbor, your different neighbor, when you sit around for a while thinking about that God chose you before the foundations of the earth. And that, that person that is difficult and different than you, that listen, he, he loves them and extends that same chosenness to them. He loves them. He chooses them. He wants them to be part of his team as well. Would that transform our thinking about how we would love our neighbors. And then we're chosen and appointed not just to do nothing. We're chosen and appointed, lastly, to bear fruit. To bear fruit. So Jesus says this, you must go and bear fruit. Fruit that will last. Here's a question. What's the trail of bodies behind you? Like, what's the wake that you're leaving in this life? Like, if you look back, are there people that would say, that person made my life better? That that person invested in me, that person loved me when nobody else loved me, that person challenged me in a loving way, that person saw the best in me? Or, or, or is, there, is there a bunch of bodies back there? A bunch of people that have been hurt, Bunch of people that have been rejected. Bunch of people that don't feel like they're good enough. Bunch of people that don't feel like they measure up. What is the fruit that you are bearing? So you're, you're planting seeds every day. The question isn't, are you planting seeds? The question is, what kind of fruit are you bearing? What kind of fruit is growing up out of the seeds that you plant in the ground with the relationships around you each and every day? What would your neighbor who is different than you say about you? Because we are called to bear much fruit. Love like Jesus. Lay down your life. Be friendly. Know that you belong. And bear much fruit. Here's the challenge. I believe it's a world-shaping challenge. This week's neighboring challenge is to find a tangible way to love someone different than you. Find a tangible way to love someone different than you. Church, what if that's how we responded this week? What if regardless of the virus and the election and the economy and all the other things going on in the world, what if what if we loved like Jesus? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, this is no small task. God, this is uh, of the highest challenge to us at the moment. We look around, God, and we see division 
we see angst, we we see worry, we see distrust of one another, we see a world in pain. And God, we don't have a promise that it's gonna get better. We don't have a promise that all of these things will go away. We don't, we don't have a promise, God, that somehow magically just make things right. But we do have your words your words which remind us to love, to love like you. Jesus, I pray that every single person in this room and every single person who's engaging with this online, wherever they're engaging with it, God, that they would learn to love those who are different than them. I pray that the church would unite I pray that we get to see a glimpse of your kingdom. I pray that you'd help us put away the selfish things, the petty things, so we can see you more clearly, Jesus. God, it feels right now some days like this is our worst moment. I want this so badly to be the best moment for your church. Help us to step into that this week. Give us courage. Give us hope. Give us perseverance. Give us strength. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening. We hope this time has allowed you to dig out more of who God has made you to be. If you made some kind of spiritual decision today and are interested in what's next, we'd love to connect with you. For more information or to get in touch, please visit journeyweb.net. If you're interested in supporting our ministry, you can give online at journeyweb.net slash give. Thanks.